0: plushcare.com slash loss.
1: Welcome to today's episode, everyone. My name is Bobo and I am your host and I'm with the beautiful Flex.
2: It is me. Hello, everyone.
1: And I am your resident optimistic nihilist reminding you every day of your mortality and the urgency to get your titty sucked and live your best life.
2: And Flex is here as... The person who's encouraging you to facilitate your own nut, do your Googles, and be better than you were yesterday.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That is absolutely the summary, the slogan, and the mantra of this podcast. Today, we're talking about pedophilia, So just a content warning for any people who are sensitive to topics about pedophilia, sexual assault, child abuse, this episode may be triggering. So proceed with caution or you can opt out and we'll still love you. This is about to be a pretty intense topic. But today we're going to be talking about the normalization of pedophilia. We're going to be talking about basically power dynamics how rampant pedophilia is in pop culture in hollywood we're just gonna dive into it there's a lot to get there's a lot to get into flex so during our last episode we sort of already touched on um We touched on ages of consent in various countries. We touched on, we talked about also all of the various internet subcultures of pedophilia. And then we talked about how pedophilia manifests itself in Hollywood and how it manifests itself in really insidious ways in our everyday lives. Do you want to go over what the different ages of consent were? I thought that was really interesting. Because that is a really good starting point to frame this conversation.
2: Okay, so I mentioned the, yeah, so last episode I mentioned that Nigeria has, Nigeria's age of consent is 11, Angola's mm. is, is 12, the Philippines is 12, Comoros is 13, Japan is 13, and we yeah. stopped there. Um, A few of those to some people were understandable or maybe not understandable, but unsurprising and others were very confusing or concerning so if i just keep going down the list a little bit countries with the age of consent of 13 are south korea niger western sahara burkina faso countries with the age of consent at 14 bulgaria myanmar cape verde chad china colombia ecuador estonia germany hungary italy austria Madagascar, Malawi, Mauritius, Montenegro, Bangladesh, and Micronesia, mm. like Brazil, Cambodia, Costa Rica, you know, 15, France, Greece, uh, Honduras, Iceland, North Korea, Laos, uh, Poland, Slovakia, Slovenia, Sweden, Syria, Thailand, like this is really young, <laughs> 16, Cameroon, Canada, Sri Lanka, Taiwan, Cook Islands, Cuba, Fiji, Ghana, Um, Australia, Indonesia, Jamaica, Jordan, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then some of the countries with the oldest age of consent, which I thought was super interesting and something that, I mean, doesn't necessarily fit the episode, but we'll chat about it. Mm. Portugal's age of consent is 21. Mm. Um, Tanzania's is... Oh, so is Bahrain, actually. Tanzania's is... 18 Egypt is 18 Uganda 18 Turkey Tunisia South Sudan Somalia Vietnam Sierra Leone so I would love to understand the distinction between why some of the countries in certain continents are some of the ages of consent in countries in certain continents are so low and then you know significantly high like 21 I was very very surprised by um and I wonder how stringent the laws are on in, on enforcing that and what that looks like.
1: Yeah. I also think it's important to take note of the fact that these ages of consent are determined by men because it is predominantly men in positions of power, especially political and economic power. But in this case, this is political power. And then the contradictions also jump out because in most of these countries, The drinking age is 18 plus, the driving age is 18 plus, but the age of consent, it can be as low as 12. So a 12 year old girl has the range to consent to sex, but she doesn't have the range to drive a car. I just think these are all really interesting. And it's also just really interesting to see how insidious the patriarchy is and how it literally leaks into our everyday political lives—it's
2: wild. It is really hectic. Uh, I after the last episode where I spoke about um, some of those men in Hollywood who had a penchant for dating younger women, somebody asked me about um, this screenshot of an article that I shared on my story a couple of weeks ago about Paul Walker mm. and his penchant for dating younger people. Wait, who's why Paul I had a- Walker? The guy who died, he was in Fast and the Furious.
1: Oh, okay, yeah.
2: He, oh, my God, the guy who died. Can you imagine? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Once oh, he God said stop. Fast and Furious, I was like, okay.
2: <laughs> well yeah, you are. Uh, So somebody had asked why I hadn't mentioned that, and it, it just escaped my mind. But for those of you who don't know, when Paul Walker um, died and there was all um, those documentaries that came up about, you know, his life and his legacy, you know, it featured his sister and other family members and then also alluded to his relationship with his girlfriend who was mourning him. Now at mm. the time of um this, his girlfriend was eighteen. When they had started dating, she was sixteen, um, and then had they'd been living together at the time of his death. Yeah. Need I remind you all that Paul Walker At the time of dating the 16 year old, had a daughter who was 15.
1: No, 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 no. Oh
2: my God. So, he, he, he. uh, I just. It's it's a lot. And yeah, it's a lot. And I. Someone had to mention, you know, why in this case, you know, we. People didn't seem so grossed out by it. And I'm going to say the halo theory. People don't necessarily attribute bad characteristics to people they find attractive or yeah. they would attribute attractive qualities to so i would say it's as simple as that
1: yeah i mean i was gonna say drake we all know about drake's behavior mm-hmm. we all know about leonardo dicaprio's behavior you also mentioned you know those michael uh, jackson Jamie as Fox. well yeah all of these people with the exception of r kelly but even r kelly r kelly was doing what he was doing and we won't we don't need to get into the details of it because at this point we all know r kelly was doing what he was doing for the entirety of his career and no one battered an eyelid not an eyelash no one said anything and so i do think that do you think it's easier for people in positions of power to evade responsibility but only when it's at the expense of women
2: oof I would say it's a few steps before that. I find that people, um, in these situations I would find it easy to believe that people see themselves reflected in these perpetrators and that that behavior isn't as sus to them as we like to believe so what do you mean the reason why you know the internet wasn't up in arms about Paul Walker dating a young person is because they were here fetishizing their little siblings and their little cousins and their friends little sisters you know and watching porn that depicted those characteristics yeah incest
1: porn so
2: I feel like if it if it's too close to home, they... Not if it's too close to home, but they probably didn't even see that behaviour as suspicious because it reflected their own. Wow. I keep saying suspicious. I don't know why. I said it a lot in the last episode as well. I mean... I'm trying to... It is fucking suspicious. It is. I
1: think it's insidious and it's suspicious. And it's it's, it's sus. It is sus. Something I was thinking about um, after the last episode that we recorded when we were talking about Drake and Millie Bobby Brown. And I was thinking about how normalized it is for men who are extremely old to date girls, especially like rock stars. Someone um, actually posted in our thread, by the way, just a quick side note, if you'd like to join and participate in the conversations about our podcast episodes, you're gonna have to join our Facebook group the link is in the description box below um but on this conversation someone posted in our facebook group that rock stars back in the day would openly sing and talk about the fact that they would have sex with 13 or 14 year old girls and no one said anything Mm. and it made me think about whether this is a nature or a nurture phenomena is pedophilia actually do we want to there's so many layers to this before we even get into that should we define the different layers that pedophilia is because there's layers to this shit.
2: let's have a little um a little lesson classes in session and i think this knowing this will really inform how you view the rest of the topic yeah and and first
1: let's differentiate between pedophiles versus sexual abusers because there's a difference absolutely Um,
2: yeah so, by definition, pedophilia is a psychiatric disorder in which an adult or an older adolescent experiences explicit and exclusive attractions to, like, prepubescent children. Mm. So, um, puberty begins for girls around 10 or 11 and boys around 11 or 12. But to be part of the criteria of being a pedophile, the cutoff point for anyone you fiend over is 13. Yeah. So... Um, it's also important to understand that some pedophiles who have obviously have sexual interest in children may not ever act on that, and therefore it's no. There's no abuse there, and there's no crime. Yeah.
1: So they're just the pedophiles. same way. They're not sexual abusers.
2: Exactly. So, and I made I didn't make that distinction in the last episode that you can be a pedophile and not be um and not be a sexual abuser. Yeah. In the same way that. Some people who commit child sexual abuses are pedophiles. But people who have committed abuse against a child and people who aren't children can't be deemed as pedophiles because pedophilia is an exclusive interest in children. Mm. Like, that's all you want. Just that under 13 situation. Yeah. So it's a little bit confusing, but... Maybe repeat that and wrap your head around it. So pedophiles can commit sexual crimes, but not all pedophiles commit sexual crimes. And some people who have committed sexual crimes against children won't be considered to be pedophiles because they don't have an exclusive interest in just children. Let's move on to the next one, uh, which is hebephilia, which is a sexual preference uh, for early adolescent children between the ages of 11 to 14. So you might find some pedophiles preference 5 to 7-year-olds, 5 to 8-year-olds, you know, 8 to 10-year-olds, that's pedophilia, and hebephilia is 11 to 14. Then there's febophilia which is the interest to mid to late adolescence. So that's 15 to 19. And as we know, because the age of consent and what's deemed to be a child versus an adult differs in different places. Hebophilia is one that's like a bit up in the air. Um, but yeah, that's between 15 and 19. And then Bobo mentioned an interesting one before we started recording, which was gerontophilia yeah which is the interest of extremely old people the yeah. geriatric the elderly
1: basically and then there's teleophilia which is what people consider normal which is being sexually attracted to adults and i want to discuss but we'll leave that for later on into the episode what is normal and abnormal in the context of sexual attraction and who decides like why is pedophilia considered abno- abnormal so we'll get into that at a later stage mm-hmm during our last episode where we were talking about Drake and Millie Bobby Brown and how mm-hmm. Drake at his big, big uncle Drake at his big age is with Millie Bobby Brown or texting Millie Bobby Brown, who was at the time 14 years old and just how that was just seen as just like normal everyday life or even Tiger and Kylie Jenner. Um, and it made me think is pedophilia and just the attraction to people who are not ad- who are younger than adults, is that something that's been s- that men have been socially conditioned into, or is it something that people are born with? And it turns out, actually, that pedophilia is actually something that we're born with, mm. or men are born like being attracted to non-adults. Which brings mm. me to the question. If this is such a rampant norm, and statistically speaking, only forty percent of child sex abusers are pedophiles, so the rest are just normal people, um, whatever normal is. Do you think we need to destigmatize pedophilia?
2: Ugh, it's so tricky because I to I think there's making the distinction between destigmatizing it and giving those who identify that room to seek rehabilitation or help um because immediately if you were to say you're a pedophile you're deemed less than subhuman nobody's Mm -hmm. helping you jail you criminalize you all the above and so if we could find a reason to say that we perhaps understand in like a theoretical way but don't condone it because everybody's quite ignorant to what pedophilia is now that we can yeah. now that we've acknowledged i think science has acknowledged that it is a mental uh, condition however you yeah. want to refer to it but society hasn't and for all intents and purposes society does dictate what is the norm yeah. And until society as a whole can rally up against and say oh well, it's fine or just the same way as society's done with you know the more quote-unquote popular mental illnesses to say that mm. it's fine to have x y and z I don't think we're anywhere close to that. It's so tricky because like, yeah, yeah, I, I am concerned because even between the last episode and this episode, you know, I've been on YouTube looking at interviews with people who identify as pedophiles but aren't criminal sex offenders. yeah, And they're in this, you know, bizarre limbo where to identify as a pedophile who hasn't offended puts them in this weird in-between spot like purgatory yeah you were given all the negative characteristics of those who have offended but you haven't been able to fulfill that sexual pleasure of yours
1: right it's
2: so 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 interesting i don't even know where to begin
1: they're also um i had mentioned this vaguely in the last episode they're literal internet communities particularly on twitter of self-identified pedophiles who call themselves minor attracted people. Yeah. They're also what we call virtuous pedophiles. Wow. Which are like, yeah, literal like online communities, like support groups, like online support groups for people who are like, listen, you're a pedophile, I'm a pedophile, and I really don't want to cross, you know, because there's a cognitive dissonance. Like on one hand, you really are sexually attracted to children but on another hand you fundamentally believe that having sex with children is is abuse and so you're in there's an internal conflict there's a cognitive dissonance and to live with that dissonance but also to live with having to suppress your urges which you didn't create it's like it's that's a lot and then on top of that there's this huge stigma and we also just shame people and a lot of the times if A pedophile goes to a psychologist and is like, "Yo, I'm attracted to kids. Like, I'm attracted to kiddies." They'll usually just be like, "Okay, well, you have to put you you have to sign yourself up to the sex offenders list. Like, you have to publicly out yourself. You know." So there's just like so much nuance there.
2: And I I guess it is the presumption that if you are coming out to say that you are like you're attracted to children. The reason I'm presuming why and the reason that I would be, I don't, I don't know if fearful as the word, but concerned, is because there are very few barriers in place to stop you from doing so.
1: Well, so here's where child sex, what are they called? Child sex dolls and computer-generated child sex porn comes into the question. There's this company based in Japan. Oh, here it is. There's a company based in Japan called Trotla and so it's a Japanese company that produces and sells child-sized and lifelike dolls that are made to feel and look like real children. They also come with heating instructions and literal movable joints. So this, this guy decided to create, to serve, he noticed there's a, there's A gap in the market there are people who are pedophiles and they need a safe space for them to release their suppressed sexual urges and by doing that that will prevent them from taking those urges out on real actual human being children which is sexual abuse so this guy started creating um, actual real life child-sized sex dolls who come complete with lingerie um, you can they come in different races and with different body sizes. Oh my god. Different facial expressions also, which is interesting. You can choose yeah. if you want your child sex doll to look sad, to look happy, to look aggressive, whatever you want, you can choose that. And he's gotten a lot of backlash because on one hand people are like, All you're doing is escalating the problem. You're normalizing something that is a problem and you're adding fuel to the fire that is a really problematic primitive urge that these people have but then his argument is actually I'm doing a service to society I'm helping these people to take their repressed urges and navigate them in a way that's healthy as opposed to going out and sexually abusing real life children what are your thoughts on that do you think that child sex dolls are a good way to prevent child sex abuse or do you think it just perpetuates the problem
2: it's funny you ask because i was researching this because there's a lot of discussion about this phenomena in australia not a lot but there there? has been there has been some discussion about it because, yeah. you know, um, South Australia has proposed that possession of child sex dolls could could lead to being jailed for up to 10 years. Wow.
0: Um,
2: and so, like you mentioned, there is there are these polarizing viewpoints that, you know, if I provide this service, then people who feel as though they want to... Have sex with children, have this outlet. But the implications of having a child sex doll is that there's very little research into what the consequences of having one would be. You know, others are saying that if you have a child, if you are a pet, yeah, if you're a pedophile who hasn't yet, you know, had sex with a child or hasn't yet done whatever with a child. Having a child sex doll could push you further into wanting to make that a reality, right? Because it does blur the line
1: between reality and fantasy. These dolls, I'm looking at these pictures right now, they look pretty real. Like it's, and they're wearing lingerie. Like they're they're not just childlike; they're quite Mm. like they're sexualized children.
2: And the nature of sex is the more you try, the more you want to try. You know, Mm. it's like you, it is intrinsic to test these urges and to see other ways in which you can fulfill yourself sexually. And so let's say you did have, like, it's the same way when you are out here getting your nut. Mechanically with a vibrator, yeah, and abstaining from you know real quote unquote roots, it gets to a point where that sensation doesn't fulfil you like it used to. Right? Then you want to go out and about. Now you're back on the apps, you know, trying to get that good, good, you know, that real life human dick or exactly. human or whatever it is. And so yeah, there, there's not not a lot of research into it at the moment, and it's unproven, but. It's possible that the use of these dolls, you know, will lead to escalation in child sex offences, you know? Because yeah. also the people who exist in that in-between territory of not identifying as a pedophile but may have may have urges. You know how we mentioned before that pedophiles have strict, exclusive interest in children. Mm. If you are somebody who, you know, wants to fuck, people of all ages, yeah, and you have access to this sex doll, well, then all of a sudden are you more interested in seeking out sex Children. with younger people because you've yeah. had this kind of gateway, I don't want to call it a drug, but this gate- gateway tool. Yeah. Um, so it's super tricky. And I don't know, like, I haven't lived enough years on the earth and I haven't considered what it would be like to to have an affliction like this where yeah. you know society says it's the worst thing possible right. if not one and there's nothing you can do about it like what would that look like and what what um i don't know what things would i want in place to to aid me in that process i couldn't imagine
1: yeah i mean my concern with it is that if you have a suppressed especially a sexual desire because sexual desires are inherently really strong and primitive just by definition. So if you have a strong sexual desire and you have to repress it for the rest of your life, it's going to manifest itself in some other way. And I don't know how, and for some people it manifests itself in sex abuse. So knowing that repressed desires manifest themselves in one way or another, because emotions like all energies never disappear, they're just transferred and transmuted into something else. Where does that energy go if you're repressing it? And so I, f- I feel like there's no answer because th- there just hasn't been enough research done. But it's just something to think about. What it I do know. It seems like the
2: most realistic solution, though. Like if we yeah. really want um, pedophiles and child sex offenders to stop abusing real children, then giving them because there's nothing worse than somebody who. Um, you know, who berates you for a certain action, doesn't give you a solution. Like, exactly. come to me with a solution, not more yeah, problems. So if you exactly. don't want me to fuck kids, then give, <laughs> then me, a give me a solution. And this guy very well has given people a solution and yeah. it's still not good enough. So what would you like them to do?
1: No, dead as. And, um, I mean, this guy himself has said that he gets countless letters from celebrities, from business people, from even former child sex abusers, who are like, you have saved my life. Like, Mm -hmm. you've given me an outlet for my desires which would have otherwise manifested themselves in either suffering or abuse. And the same also goes for computer-generated child porn. Like, there's computer, and by computer-generated, I mean like cartoon or just like virtual reality child porn, where morally speaking, you're not actually infringing on any any human rights because a cartoon character or anything that's not a living being isn't feeling pain. Like, I don't know, it feels like a win-win to me. But then again, I don't know. The only concern is just that line between fantasy and reality. And the question is chicken or egg. Does fantasy perpetuate reality or does reality perpetuate fantasy? Who who knows?
2: Yeah, and 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 you could theorize all day and not get to Yeah. To any point about it. But you made a good point earlier about the ways in which society perpetuates these ideals and might condition men to want to I mean, you can't really I don't know if you can condition someone to be a pedophile if they're already sexually experienced. Yeah. But you can condition them to want to commit crimes against minors in this way. And that brings us to the point of, you know, all this porn that's out, this incest porn, fairly legal porn, teens, babysitters, all this fucking shit that honestly is probably the bulk of the porn that is being watched at the moment. Yeah. And I don't think a lot of people are, you know, trying to intellectualize their sexual fantasies. I mean, if you would have, if you listening have watched incest porn, no part of you thinks that you could be, a pedophile, a, he- a or what's the other one? A hefebophile yeah. or potentially a criminal sex offender because now you have urges towards, like none of you are thinking that. Yeah. And I feel like that is the dissonance between how close we are to teetering the line between what's normal and socialized and conditioned behavior and then what is, diseem- dis- what is deemed sorry immoral. For all intents and purposes, there are millions of people now yeah. engaging in what could be child pornography. Yeah. I no, read a and- stat that said there are like how many um the UN like they it was on NBC, NBC news like an article a couple of years ago that said that um like uh, there are more than 4 million websites worldwide that show images of children being sexually exploited. Yeah. Like 4 million websites, not clicks, not downloads, websites. websites. Yeah.
1: So, so there are more clearly- than enough people
2: watching this shit.
1: Absolutely. I mean, there's clearly a demand for this. And I had mentioned that since Trump has been elected, there's been a huge spike in incest porn. There's clearly a huge demand and also a correlation between um, pedophilia and incest. But also, I think it also extends itself beyond porn, because I also think as women, we also need to look at ourselves and think about in what ways are we complicit in perpetuating like pedophilic beauty standards and also like the sexualization of children do you remember um a couple of years ago i think it was in 2014 there was this huge i remember because i did a a project about it when i was in high school there's this huge controversy because there was a 12 year old model modeling for jean paul gaultier Mm. um and this model was like she just had all this makeup on and she was posing really sexy. And, like, this is a 12 year old. And so the, the internet exploded, everyone exploded and was like, this is disgusting. Why do you have a 12 year old model who is so hypersexualized? And, having worked in fashion myself i see that the the girls in the fashion industry who flourish are the girls who are exploited because they're like teenagers and once you reach the age of like 24 or 25 you're discarded because at that point you're too old Mm -hmm. so even as a model in the fashion but especially fashion and on runways the the younger you are the better you are like the the girls that you see on runways are generally between the ages of 13 to 18. Yeah. And they're the ones wearing bikinis. They're mm-hmm. the ones in magazines. So it's like, and the fashion industry is predominantly run by women. So in what mm-hmm. ways also are we complicit in conditioning men to sexualize us?
2: Speak on it
1: listen we, we need to be like we yeah. also need to be accountable for our trashness and it's also really interesting like how beauty standards vary by country like yeah. and i'm not shitting on anyone this is just an observation but if you look at like korean beauty like south korean beauty standards like japanese beauty standards the emphasis the emphasis generally east versus west is on youth if you look at like japanese beauty standards like south korean beauty standards it's very much like a a childlike innocent youth it's Mm. very much oriented around cuteness in the east whereas in the west beauty standards are very much oriented around sexiness
2: but even with the sexiness in the West, there still is a lot of, like, infantilization with, like, um, you know, re- anti-aging products and yeah. how to appear younger. And so yeah. it's, like, it's the same – different sides of the same pie. Oh, absolutely. I wouldn't say one is better than the other. I think one is a bit harder to stomach for those who think there's a superiority complex. I mean, mm. but if we're encouraging people to look younger, what is the implication with that?
1: Yeah. And where I does mean- it stop? I mean, I think there's also been a sexualization of cuteness. Mm
2: -hmm. Like,
1: cuteness used to be associated with just... It used to be for a child gaze, but now cuteness is for a male gaze. I remember, when I think about me, and I have a baby face, but when I think about, like, the periods in my life where I was most sexualized, it was during my school uniform wearing, like... Yeah! Yeah, there's something about cuteness that is no longer cute, but, like, Mm -hmm. highly, highly sexual.
2: It is so funny you say that because a couple of weeks ago, maybe months now on Twitter, I saw this tweet, naturally, that Mm. said something to the effect of, you know, isn't it funny that the most catcalling and male attention I've ever experienced was when I was, you know, a child, in primary school, in high school. I remember I had this idea that dating as an adult would be so simple and so easy because every single day without fail me being like a grubby chubby like high schooler 15 with a, a skirt too short whatever cat calls at lunch when you're going to the like across the road drinking school before school after school the bus driver the wee guy at the bus stop the tradesman driving past everybody complimenting you sexualizing you like it didn't stop and then to come to adulthood I, per- I mean, New York is a, like a hectic place. So I know yeah. you're more likely to be catcalled. But I swear to you, I have not been catcalled in years. Wow. It just wow. hasn't happened. And I refuse to believe I was cuter at 15, 14,
1: 13 no. than I am now. Listen, wow. And
2: while I may have been wearing like a little skirt, a little school uniform, there are ways in which your sexuality or, your, um, or how you view sexuality should mature when you mature. Like and naturally, it doesn't. When I was 15, I found 15-year-old boys attractive because that's what was cute to me. And then I turned 25 and I can see, oh, there's <laughs> my interest in older men will increase. I can find a 45-year-old attractive. Mm. I can find a 25-year-old attractive because I've got the breadth and depth to do that. You don't have that when you're a baby. So what are these old men doing looking at this kid going, hmm?
1: I think it's but gendered.
2: I, you think? I don't know. They're sugar mummies and cradle snatches. <laughs> Listen,
1: I think the way that we experience desire is gendered. I'm going to make like a broad generalization, but this is what I've observed throughout my life. I mentioned in a previous episode that I think power dynamics will always be toxic and manipulative, but that's we'll get into that at a later stage. But what I've noticed is that when women date, women date people that they admire, whereas when, whereas men date people that they can dominate. There's a difference in the way that we experience and navigate and perceive desire. For women, it's very much wrapped up in admiration and aspiration and like upward you know, there's something sort of hypergamous, not not like financially hypergamous. Whereas you for sound men,
2: like an incel <laughs> <Literally>. <laughs> Insos you have this red pill theory. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, but.
0: There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss.
1: Like, I'm not saying it's, I'm not saying women are inherently hypergamous, but I'm saying women's desire is driven by admiration. We desire men that we admire. And that's not just like just financial, but just like intellectually, emotionally, just in all ways whereas with men i find that men are socially conditioned for their desire to be driven by ad by domination and that's because of how we define masculinity like masculinity is by definition rooted in domination and i think that that is what informs how men navigate dating i'm talking about cis hetero men and this is just a theory but i think it also informs why we hypersexualize teens and kiddies and also informs why a lot of men are socially conditioned to be catcalling young girls because it's just that like desire to dominate versus a desire to be with your equal isn't that wild but i would say i I agree
2: with the half of your theory that that says that men would like to dominate rather Mm. than i believe with the theory of women inherently being hypergamous i think aspirationally they would like to be but in practice i don't think very many women are inherently hypergamous
1: yeah not in practice because also we have slim pickings but Mm. i think but i'm talking about our desire like in general like if you ask a woman what type of guy do you want to be with it's not mm. like, oh, a guy that, like, stays at home as in is, and is in the kitchen. T- you know what I mean? Like, it's very yeah. much like, I want a guy who's emotionally intelligent. I want a guy who can provide. I want a guy who's mm. ambitious. I want a guy who's attractive. Like, it's always driven and rooted in admiration. Whereas I feel like men's desire is driven by domination. The desire to dominate because their identity and self-worth is rooted in to what extent they can dominate. Like, and what so
2: the
1: theory is, is that men are unlikely
2: to dominate women of their own age group, and so the domination is easier acted out with minors. Is that?
1: I, yeah, the I point? think it's not even. I think it doesn't just manifest itself with age, but I think age is the phys- the physical manifestation of domination. It also makes up a lot of the reason why men would prefer especially historically, to be with women who make less money or to be with women who are smaller or why most men are doms and most women are sub. Like, I think it manifests itself in a in just a lot of different ways, but the most obvious physical material way that it can manifest itself is age. Like, what better power dynamic is there outside of money than age? Hold you that thought. My dull bearing. Mm. <laughs> okay i've returned you have returned yes what were we saying cuteness age domination yeah so basically i just think that we've really sexualized and romanticized powerlessness i think cuteness is now like what's the difference between being hot and being cute hotness is inherently it has like a sense of power in it, whereas cuteness is inherently powerless
2: Ooh. and non-threatening. Ooh.
1: And I think I that think I'm cute and threatening as fuck. <laughs> Am I not? <laughs> you know what? Someone posted in our group this video, um, of Joe Rogan and this guy talking about that that men differentiate between women who are beautiful and women who are who are hot and well, i, I think often i like... would add a different category i think men see women as either cute as far as like attractiveness i think it's either you're cute or you're hot or you're beautiful yeah. and the men who whose desire is more directed by cute are the ones who sexualize um powerlessness the ones who Oof. sexualized just that non-threatening femininity and then the men whose wow. desires driven by hotness are the ones who are more turned on by power by power or confidence I would say those are more people who are like attracted to adults and then there's like
2: <laughs> and then she beautiful said people is like who are more attracted to adults the way that came out is so shady
1: <laughs> I literally and then I think beautiful is the type of woman that a man will will take home i was talking to my boyfriend about like how race um manifest in like perception of beauty a lot of people think black women are hot but not necessarily beautiful like yeah i want to fuck her but i'm not trying to take her home do you know what mm. i mean i feel like men i don't feel like women do that categorization like i think desire for women is a little bit more all-encompassing But I Mm -hmm. think for men it's very categorical. Like what? Do you think those
2: categories are deliberate? Like, do you think if you were to ask the average man to justify why that girl is cute and not hot hot but not beautiful, beautiful but not cute, he would have clear distinctions as to why? Or it's just the best way to describe the person at the time. And with that being said, it's someone that can be seen as cute by a man who would categorize could that same woman not be seen as beautiful in a different circumstance or is it just a one size fits all because i like the idea of it in theory but i want to know what it looks like in practice
1: i don't think it's a one size fits all like i think because i think it's gendered and i think it's racialized and i think it's subject to space and time so I think that one man might perceive a woman as beautiful and another, woman, and another man might think she's ugly and another man might think she's mad cute. Another man might think she's just, just hot. You know what I mean? But I think that if you were to ask a man, like justify why you find that woman attractive or even if you go ask your boyfriend, but just given the fact that your boyfriend is dating you, he probably mm-hmm. finds you all three like cute beautiful and hot if you, were to <laughs> if you were to ask a random guy like why do you think rihanna is attractive they'd be like oh she's just hot like i want to fuck whereas if you were to ask her why do you think michelle obama is attractive oh she's beautiful i don't know you know what i mean i don't think that men actually intellectualize this but i think that they are wired or conditioned to categorize the way that they interpret and internalize desire. What do you think?
2: See, the way this is just how I know you like you stay thinking because <laughs> <laughs> I'm like bah. have you seen that that meme of like um fucking what's that guy Patrick from Spo- no the Krusty crab from Spongebob and he's like <laughs> shaking real fast because like everything's happening too quickly and he can't think that's me <laughs> <I'm screaming. laughs> oh, I know I'm I actually do drive airhead. myself mad I'm I- trying not to think these days um, I love it after we recorded no, I'm that episode to- with Mukunda I was like oh I'm out No, I love that.
1: No, I'm ready. I'm ready to, once a week, I'm ready to just not think, like to just float in the abyss.
2: (laughs) She said just float. Look, like I think, as I said before, in theory, I could understand why that would be true. But I would always thought like hot was purely sexual and had nothing to do with authority or like perceived confidence it was just an in, innate sexual attraction to someone like they're hot i'm not yeah. regarding them as a person it's purely for oh you know, I my agree admiration with that too. yeah you know it, it's not even like that per, that person's hot it's just that's a hot thing and i'm into it mm. um and then with cute i always assumed cute was a way to express like affection or interest in a way that was non-sexual but um what's the word i'm looking for Mm. Non-sexual, but like regarded as like important. So I feel like people use cute, but but then in the same way, another a girl messaged me a couple of weeks ago to say or to ask me if I if I thought being cute was offensive, and that she found it personally offensive to be regarded as something inferior really? and infantile she's, when yeah. she's a strong woman. And I was like, I don't know, I I don't <laughs> think anything of it at all. I'm really cute, <laughs> but. <laughs> I could tell she was itching for discourse, and so I thought about it in some scale. I'm like, I guess it's the like the context of which it's being expressed to you, but you know, yeah, I just I think refuse it's the to difference- believe that people are thinking as critically about what their words mean when they say it as we are in our analysis.
1: I don't think people are thinking about it, but I think it exists on a subconscious level. Like, I think the difference between being cute and being hot is the difference between a teddy bear and a Barbie doll. Do you know what I mean? Like, both are desirable, but one is desirable because of its powerlessness, and the other is desirable because of its confidence, because of its sexual prowess. Two different people can both see a teddy bear and a Barbie doll as inherently sexual, one finds it sexual because it's inherently non-threatening and the other finds the Barbie doll sexual because of its sexual prowess, because of its inherent confidence. You know what I mean? And Have I don't you think asked your boyfriend are... his
2: distinction between each three? No. Like, was that part of the conversation? I'd love to know.
1: I mean, okay, how do you think that the average guy in Australia perceives you, like, as beautiful, as cute, as... And you can like different. I think it differs by race and age. So, but like, how do you think men perceive you? Cute. And how Round, do you think that manifests? Rounded,
2: rounded, fucking childlike features. But I'm perceived yeah. as cute. Well, you cute do when have you a baby face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would think I'd be perceived as cute if I was. If you didn't know me, and I was playful. Um, but I think I don't. I mean, how. I'm trying to think of the context in which somebody's telling me these things. If we're about to fuck, then obviously I'm sexy to you. If it's the context of us being friends, then I'm beautiful because you're regarding me as important. Yeah. But then if I'm But generally, I'd say I just feel a cute mould.
1: Mm. How do you think that manifests sexually?
2: I don't think there's a clear through line.
1: Do you because think I think so? it's,
2: I think it's circumstantial. Like I said before, I'd be more I'd more like I'd be more likely to think that. Whether you're regarded as cute, sexy, uh, hot, or beautiful is circumstantial first rather than a direct reflection of how you're being perceived as you as a person so yeah. in this circumstance you're being regarded as this because that's how I'm be viewing you so Bobo if you're in a situation where you were being sexualized for having your nipples out in public you'd be seen as sexy to the majority who are regarding you as an object for consumption right but had they had a, a conversation with you like you mentioned in the previous episode you are often regarded as being dumb and docile because you're smiley and whatever in photos or yeah so I think it's contextual more so than clear categories for each type of person or yeah. type of woman.
1: Well, so I don't think it's dependent on the woman. I think it's dependent on the guy and his gaze Ooh. is what I'm saying. I don't think any one woman is inherently cute, sexy, hot, beautiful, whatever. But I think every guy will, depending on their cultural, um, depending on so many contexts that intersect, they will, they, like you can put 10 guys in a room and be like, what do you think of this one woman? And all of them will perceive her differently depending on all of these different intersections. So I think yeah, it depends on the male gaze, but not the, the woman's inherent qualities.
2: Interesting. But do you think the gaze is still contextual and circumstantial then? So even absolutely. if this one guy is viewing me in different circumstances, it's all about him, but it's still contextual. Mm, wait, what do you mean by that? Well, I'm thinking it's so like you mentioned before. Yeah. I feel like we're talking about this a lot, but it's inconsequential. Like, it doesn't actually matter. But yeah. so if, let's say, man A has seen me, uh, like, in a grocery store, in a sex dungeon, and then in a church. Mm. How he perceives me is more about his preconceived oh, your ideas on those environments and those situations and the way I look or dress, as opposed to what I'm projecting. Is that what you mean? Yeah.
1: So I think it's all his preconceived ideas about you are dependent on the environment in which you exist in. So for example, you're in school uniform, you're in a school, you're in a church, whatever, as well as his own cultural context, like he's white, American, male. So he finds black women exotic, whatever it is, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, it's all of these different things. But so I think, I don't think it's like, categorical as far as the woman i think that the categories exist in the in the in the man's mind
2: so this is the, a men's problem yeah oh yeah no this
1: is not us. this is not our problem
2: so <laughs> this is not case, our problem at all in case you were thinking about you know spending too many hours of today you know strategizing how you can be, be perceived differently it's not your oh problem.
1: yeah don't do that it's not you can't it's just it's not your business
2: While I was Googling this earlier, the like, why men are more. (laughs) (laughs) Why men are, you know, predispositioned in some cases to find that barely legal teen sexual porn thing attractive. There was this weird theory by this right wing fucking author, social commentator not even gonna name him because what's the point mm-hmm. <laughs> but he had this evolutionary theory that men adult men are attracted to young women because they're hardwired to seek out more fertile beings which is mm-hmm. just like no even before I get to the science I refuse that's just like it's so, so you is- <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: let me fight him give me his act. <laughs> Let me go fight
2: him. (laughs) Like, even before then, like, how many ways can we shut that down?
0: (laughs) Literally. I mean, especially
2: if you are talking about prepubescent people who aren't fertile, so... Well, I mean, this
1: goes back to the question of why is pedophilia considered a mental illness or why is it considered abnormal and by what standards? I feel like it's because as human beings, you're biologically engineered to find sex, to find people sexually attractive because they can bear or raise children well. Mm-hmm. So someone who is eight years old can neither bear <laughs> or raise children well. She so therefore, that is a biological flaw on your end. Mm-hmm. Because how are you sexually attracted to someone who can't do either or? Like
2: it doesn't make sense. It's so then it's I start of- adding up. Then I started researching that stat because I would have thought, okay, if this is some like right-wing commentator who's probably, uh, I don't know, well-researched and feels strongly about this, and I too will research. And obviously it's been debunked and proven that not yet legal teens and prepubescent people have statistically, not prepubescent, but just pubescent, sorry, have statistically higher rates of complications in pregnancies than women in their 20s. Like we're not talking the difference between an eight-year-old and a 45-year-old. So the difference between an 8 to 12 year old and literally a 20 to 25 year old. Like it's never gonna be easier to rear and birth a child as a child. Wow. And so I was like, imagine that rhetoric is being just spread around these communities in which it's there's been a justification disgusting. for their attracted to children. Like this guy, you know, with so and so has told me that they're more fertile and that's why I'm attracted to them. Can you no. imagine? i read an alternative answer i think i read it in jezebel it was an opinion piece but this author was saying um that it has much more to do with adult men's anxiety than their reproductive longings like in the fantasy world of bailey legal porn the teen girl's like an ingenue longing for a sexual initiation at the hands of like a really confident and secure and sexually literate man and for the older man Perhaps intimidated by I don't know like the emotional or spiritual or erotic needs of a woman his age or a woman who's even an adult because um, he can't meet that because he can't meet their demands he'll just go to a perceived naive younger person where he can be perceived as the authority that sounds more legit to me yeah but I would get that if we were talking about like between 20 to 25 and a 40 year old guy looking back and being like oh like I can't keep up not the difference between a 25 year old man wanting to sleep with a 16 year old Mm -mm. I just
1: mm -mm. no it doesn't add up (laughs) and also to add on to the other guy's theory it's also I don't know if you know Alain de Botton he's the guy who started school of life life. yeah yeah he's zaddy (laughs) but basically he made a video about why what is sexiness or something like that and he was talking about why we find the people we find sexy and he was saying that a lot of it comes down to childhood Mm -hmm. if you grew up with you know, a mom who is really anxious or like a mother who is like a very type A mother, you'll actually in your adult life be more attracted to women with softer features, with softer, with just like more gentle and softer features because you're airing away from your childhood anxieties and vice versa. If you grew up with a mom who is really docile, he was just kind of a pushover, who just didn't stand up for herself, you're more likely in your adult years to be attracted to a woman who is more confident, who just has that like sexier Angelina Jolie, like that type of aesthetic, as opposed to like a softer Natalie Portman type of aesthetic. Like a lot of our sexual desires actually stem from our childhoods. Mm-hmm. And so, but not just like who your mother is, but like what your mother was like, like what your father was like, what your childhood was like, whether or not you were abused, the type of people. And it's not just about like what's familiar, but it's also about negating what causes the most anxiety in you. Like there's so many little nuances that cause us to to be attracted to the people that we're attracted to that for some crusty ass man to fix his fingers... To type, to talk about how an eight-year-old is fertile. Like, are you mad? (laughs) Are you mad?
2: I mostly hate it.
1: I can't stand it. I'm screaming at it. Wow. Do you think there's also something to be said about... Someone actually asked this as a question. Um, The removal of body hair. Yeah. And um, you barely ever see women in porn... With pubes. Mm-hmm. And does that condition men to... Because, like, how... Why am I... Why must I be the bald eagle as if I'm a 10-year-old? I refuse. I refuse. <laughs> Can you... Ma- no. Mm-mm. No. Do you think that's course, in some I'm way d- tied to the sexualization of children?
2: Yeah, in this instance, a lot of the easiest, the simplest theories are probably correct. Like, the ways in which... Uh, you know men have been conditioned to see women's bodies
1: yeah. closer
2: emulate children's bodies than the average woman when we mm. talk about hair and shape and blah 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 like yeah it's all there and i don't think there's any point in over intellectualizing it. it's very simply that fact i would wonder though if if we were to ask men this if they would see the link and if they could rationalize if there was no link like if i went to a man and said hey don't you think it's weird that In the majority of porn, you're watching these bodies. Although, because I don't know about you, but when I was ten, I had boobs, for sure, boobs and no, no body hair, absolutely. So, if you can imagine, these porn stars also have boobs and no body hair. Wow, where, like, you know, where is like the 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 links are quite clear. So, I would love to hear. And perhaps any of the straight men listening could give us insight into this. Like, what are the ways in which you think you might be conditioned to normalize the sexuality of younger bodies? Mm. And you might not, but have a think about it because, and like, I don't also know, you just talk might to be your a victim of circumstance.
1: Mm-hmm. Anyone listening to this, like, talk to your man's, um, <clears throat> ask him how does he perceive you what informs his i feel like the average guy would be like what the fuck why are you asking me these random ass questions that'd be so curious to hear like how men
2: really feel it's worth the thought because up until this episode i wasn't thinking that hard about the links between yeah the conditioning that men have had
0: Mm. and you know yeah
2: but just as you mentioned before, in beauty standards, constantly infertilizing people, look younger, feel younger, be cute, Daily. be soft, like, be, yeah, it's, it's all there.
1: Yeah, I mean... And I'll, it's not
2: a coincidence, and it's probably it's all not. really, really, like, strategic.
1: Yeah, no, it absolutely is. There's something also about, like, you know, why do why does blush exist? Even, like, red lipstick. Like, mm. that also goes down to childhood. Like, a baby's lips are more pinkish reddish even blush it's because it's supposed to mimic um rosy chubby cheeks like there's just so much that we do during our beauty routines even like that highlight that highlight that you add underneath your eyes is to mimic a baby's eyes like a lot of what we do during our beauty routine routines are not just arbitrary they intersect with like geometry they intersect with so much of like our biological inclinations towards children it's madness it's madness mm.
2: and it is bizarre that feminine femininity always mirrors like sexualized young girl like yeah. in so many ways to be perceived, be perceived as feminine you've got to be perceived as like young and cute
1: infantile weird and but there's the same energy doesn't apply to men no it doesn't if you does think it? about how we sexualize men it's always about being bigger and stronger and like mm. big dick energy But the way that we sexualize women i'm reading this book called ways of seeing and it's absolutely fascinating it's this book by john berger about how the ways that we see things are informed by who we are and there's a chapter about the ways that we see women and It studies like how women and nudity has been portrayed throughout the years, like all the way back to the Renaissance era up until today. And really not much has changed. They were also saying that back, back, back in the day, like during the Renaissance era, when men were doing their business negotiations or whatever it is, whatever negotiations they were doing there would always be a large painting of women being dominated just so that who, the man that who the man who lost the argument would be able to look up at that picture of seeing a woman being subverted and immediately have his masculinity be affirmed Restored. again Restored. wow the ways that we depict women is never arbitrary And it's all, all of it is for not only a male gaze, but also to affirm masculinity and like also to uphold the patriarchy. Even the ways that we take selfies, the ways that all of it, the ways we pose for pictures, it's all been constructed by and for men. Isn't that crazy?
2: This is a lot to take in. This is a lot to take in. and I'm thinking as like if I was somebody who's listening to this, I'd be thinking, "Okay, like, what to do with this information?" Am I to assume that every man I'm dealing with as an adult woman no. is, you know, <laughs> is sexually attracted to somebody who's ten years my junior? Am I to assume that, you know, I'm being seen in a way that's infantile? Like I don't want. Let's not stress you out. It's yeah, all just no. information, and take this information impart it to your groups, your friends, your partners, your family, yeah. have greater discussion. Because I I wouldn't say that I feel more comfortable with the concept of pedophilia at all, but mm. I do feel like doing the bit of research before this and, you know, educating myself gives me much more of an understanding of yeah. how difficult it could be. Many of us won't even have the range to understand anything similar to what pedophiles would be experiencing. And I'm talking more so non offending pedophiles. Yeah. Let me not act like I'm a full ally. You know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) I'm talking like non offending (laughs) pedophiles who day to day need to like suppress their desire in ways that which we'll never understand. We'll suppress desires in minor ways. Like you might not eat that thing you want to, or you might not you know return that call to that guy who's you know using you or you might not you know skip uni even though you want to but those things don't have consequences like jail literally yeah and the social martyrdom that comes with admitting that you have sexual attractions Attractions. to minors
1: yeah i mean ultimately like what do you think is the best way So say you find out that one of your close friends is a pedophile. What is the best way to engage with them with empathy and love? Um, Like what's the most productive way?
2: I think the only way is to understand what their, I guess, form of pedophilia actually looks like. Yeah. As opposed to assuming that you can help them in any way, just trying to understand them. And if you can't, I would say mind your business. Honestly, because it's it's quite virtuous to assume that you have anything valuable to add to this person's yeah. life. They probably spent more time, you know, constructing ways in which to eradicate this need from their body or their mind. Yeah. So,
1: yeah, I mean, I would agree with that also. I think shame is always a useless emotion. You will never get anywhere by shaming someone for whatever it is that they are or that they do. So the best thing to do is just like to mind your business and just be empathetic. I actually was introduced to pedophilia like years ago. I read this book called Lolita, which is about this 40-something-year-old man by the name of Humbert who falls in love with a 12-year-old girl by the name of Lolita. Mm -hmm. And he actually ends up having to adopt this girl and father her while he has really strong sexual attraction and urges to this girl and it's written from his perspective as a pedophile and the mindfuck of this book is that it's the most beautifully written like it's the most poetic book in the world and it's from the perspective like you're getting a blow-by-blow account of what it feels like to be like aroused and literally to be in love with someone that you just cannot access. And to have to repress those feelings. And by the end of the book, you actually like feel really bad for him. Like You actually fall in love with the character. Um, it is kind of graphic. There's like some sexual abuse in there. But if you're interested in getting a first-hand account of what it feels like to be a pedophile, if you don't know any i would suggest reading lolita it's really interesting
2: i would say i did try to read that book when i was about 19 or 20 and just found it really boring really so, yeah i mean <laughs> <clears throat> i've always read books that were like like non-fictional or if they're fiction very stimulating it's yeah very interesting like easily depicted like a movie lolita moves like a slow book oh so. it's the
1: slowest book it's Literally it takes like two pages just to describe one thing. Cause it's written yeah. like a poem. Um but yeah, I'm just it was just really interesting. But yeah. I think that's that's all we have for today. Yeah, that'd
2: be it. <laughs>
1: um so our next episode will be about incel culture and also we'll do an episode on plastic surgery which I think has a lot to do with pedophilia as well. So I think some of the themes that we've touched on in this episode, we will touch on in our plastic surgery episode. Make sure to join our group to post your questions, comments, thoughts, musings on whatever it is we talk about and beyond. Follow us on Instagram at Bobo and Flex. We're also on Twitter. So follow us there and join the conversation. And, and One um, thing
2: before we go is I've mm. just asked my boyfriend what he thinks the distinction between hot, beautiful, and cute is. Mm. I first asked which one am I, and he said all three, like all these fucking men do. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I told you he'd say that. Am they, they all say this shit. They all
2: say this shit. <laughs>
1: um,
2: but he says he is at work, like r- real jobs, so yeah. can't afford to think about it too much, but... He would say that he would think that men generally categorise hot as, I don't know anything about her, but I'm sexually attracted to her. Mm. Um, viewing her as an object, like we sort of mentioned before. Yeah, um, Cute is probably more nuanced attraction than hot, or thinking that the men you're talking to won't perceive them as sexually attractive. So you kind of buffer it a bit. Like, she's cute. Oh. Um, like, not traditionally hot unique whatever and then beautiful would be traditionally but perhaps not universally attractive um but you know the person Mm. so you can have you can add layers to their attraction yeah like it's all
1: encompassing this
2: boy's a thinker so i don't really know if the average guy is putting in that much effort into yeah that's
1: the thing too like i mean i'm gonna ask my boyfriend but also I can never predict what he thinks about
2: anything because
1: that nigga's an alien. (laughs) You are too
2: though. That's so cute. (laughs) Dropped off together at a little seed. (laughs) I know.
1: (laughs) Um, Literally, we're gonna make little alien babies and it'll just be so cute. Wow.
2: Ooh, he said he doesn't think that anyone's calling someone beautiful unless they're in They're trying to date. They're infatuated with them. Like there's all there's a (gasps) romantic connection. Isn't that interesting? That is interesting. So, like, man just isn't, like, you know, out here helping you in the retail store calling you beautiful. Interesting. Um, Look, ask your boyfriend and then report back. And everybody listening, if you have men in your life that trust you enough to share their thoughts with you, ask them what their distinction between hot, beautiful, and cute is, um, and ask them what they think other men think as well. Yeah.
1: Yeah, let's get a thread going in our Facebook group. I'd love to hear everyone's thoughts. And stay tuned for our next episode about incel culture. We'll be diving into why men feel entitled to women's bodies. We'll be diving into the red pill, black pill theory. Yeah. I also really want to know, like, do you think incels are a male resistance movement? Like, do you think incel culture is the manifestation of meninism
2: yeah perhaps actually
1: yeah anyway we'll dive into all of that in our next episode stay tuned and we'll catch you next time bye
2: bye sweetie
1: planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen